I guess you are very naive at the beginning thinking, oh, I just need to put the work online and people will somehow find it and buy it. That's not the case at all. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this special episode of Shopify On Location, recorded in London. I'm Shuang Esser Shan. All right. I have a confession. I have a huge soft spot for ceramics. I buy them whenever I travel. There's something about the thrill of trying to bring them home safely while supporting the artist. It gets me every single time. Just south of London is a small town of Carlshalton, historic buildings, lush trees, and a peaceful river that flows through. It's also the home of Raquel Acosta's pottery studio, Glaze Me Pretty. Her pastel-colored candle holders, mugs, and plates are all made in her garden studio. And I'm so excited to have Raquel join us in our studio today. We're going to chat all about her journey from working as a data scientist to becoming a ceramics artist full-time. Thank you so much for being here today, Raquel. Thank you for having me. All right. I'm so excited to have you here. So you didn't go to art school, yet here you are, a full-time artist. Tell us how it all started. So for me, this is a midlife, quite radical career change. I studied computer science, <laughs> and my last job was as, as a data scientist. Obviously, when I was a teenager, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And this, the world qu felt quite smaller back then, no internet, no social media, so obviously... There weren't many examples of things that you could do. So I just picked something that had good uh, working prospects, <laughs> so computer science. So I did that for 12, 15 years, and then I felt that I needed a creative outlet. I felt the urge to do something with my hands specifically. I was very interested in crafts. I tried a few but they didn't stick with me until I saw the first season of The Pottery Throwdown. And <laughs> I found it captivating, all the variety of techniques and all the history that the craft has. So it just gave me the idea to join evening classes and give it a go. And I loved it. I loved the medium. I loved the clay, the endless possibilities. And yeah, I got really hooked. Um, I was uh, doing evening classes for a couple of years, and at the same time I was building a little studio in my house. I started in the corner of the kitchen, then I, I moved to a little shed that I had in the garden, and then finally last summer uh, we built a proper, decent-sized uh, garden studio where I'm working right now. And it's a beautiful studio. I think what's amazing about your story is it might be kind of typical for a lot of people. They want to do something with their hands. They take a hobby, and it remains a hobby. Mm -hmm. So I guess for you, what is it about ceramics that made you want to essentially dedicate your career to and do this switch? I found it fascinating that you could make a professional-looking product out of a ball of mud. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and the possibilities were endless. So I, I found that really fascinating. The glazes as well. Uh, I really like glazes, and I, I spend a lot of, uh, of my time working and developing new glazes. I like color, I like details in the glazes, so I just found that really fascinating, that you can, you can work at a really low level with powders to create glazes. It's not like paint where you buy the paints already made, 
right? With ceramics, you really start at a really low level. <laughs> this is math and raw powders, and you build potentially anything, any product you can build with ceramics, out of ceramics. So yeah, I found that really interesting. And also I have a tendency to daydream and visualize myself in the future. So since very early on, I was seeing myself like selling pottery, like having my own, making my own stuff and, and making a living out of it. So that really helped to make it into a goal to have my own business and kind of like a dream, something to look to look up to. I love it. And I think for your pieces, there is something sparkly and different about them. So tell us about the pieces that you currently are making. Yeah, in terms of the forms, I like clean, simple forms, and I let uh, the glaze to be the star. So I like color. I like glazes that have something going on. Instead of being just a plain color, I, I like them where they do... Uh, effects. So either multiple colors in the same glaze or what I'm doing right now is crystals. So the molecules bond in a regular pattern, which is called a crystals. Examples of crystals are snowflakes or even table salt, the stuff like that. A lot of gemstones and minerals, those are crystals. So it's the same process, but inside a glaze. When I found out about, about those, I just thought it was really fascinating. And I knew that's what I wanted to make myself. And each piece is so unique because they crystallize in their own way during the firing. Exactly. The crystallization happens during the firing, so I don't have full control. And that means that every piece is completely unique, slightly different. The crystals are placed in, in different places, a uh, different amount of crystals. So yeah, that's what I find really charming about this technique. So you mentioned you were daydreaming about how this ceramics journey can become its own business. So what did you do in the beginning to try to sell some of your pieces? I started, <laughs> I opened an online shop in summer 2018, and I wasn't ready. <laughs> but I just thought I would give it a go, just get used to uh, having a website, all the admin that goes behind, uh, trying to sell, promoting in social media. But my audience in, in Instagram was quite small at that time, so I wasn't really <laughs> I wasn't really selling anything online. So what I did was do face-to-face markets, so craft fairs, little craft fairs, uh, and stuff like that. So I started doing fairs in Christmas 2019 and then all 2019. And at that time, I was still having a day job full-time, so this was mainly the weekends. So I was completely focused on markets and craft fairs in 2019, and then 2020 hit. (laughs) So I did a couple of markets in February and March, and then everything closed down. Mm. (laughs) And that's where I I redirected all my energy into online. So I started being more active on Instagram, trying to grow my audience, improving my website, expanding my range of pieces as well. Try, try new things, new products. And I guess it was, uh, the timing was quite lucky because when the pandemic hit and everybody was locked down, uh, they were spending a lot of time online. Mm-hmm. So I, I think online businesses had a lot of eyes on them at that time. So yeah, my, my Instagram following grew quite a lot in, in 2020. I started the year with 2,400 followers, and I ended with 11,000. 
That's quite impressive amount of growth. And I think especially a lot of people do find it hard to grow organically on Instagram right now. And before we dive into your social media growth, I want to pick up on something you mentioned in the beginning of your journey where you said, you know, I went online, I try to do social media and you realize, oh, right. Like when you build something from scratch, it's really hard to have the audience and actually have people come visit your online store or visit your social media? A hundred percent. I guess you are very naive at the beginning thinking, oh, I just need to put the work online and people will somehow find it and buy it. That's not the case at all. <laughs> you need to build your own audience and then redirect the people to, the, to your website. <laughs> Did you try your hands on different marketplaces like Etsy to possibly have more of an audience or have a chance of people finding you in some sort of marketplace as well? I gave Etsy a go at the very beginning as well when I uh, opened my own website as well. So I opened an, an Etsy account. I had a few sales, but it wasn't anything groundbreaking. So I, I felt that you still needed to point people to your Etsy shop. The traffic that I was getting organically through Etsy wasn't huge. I guess I just made a decision that if I want to spend time directing people to, to a shop, that I'd rather use my own shop than, than Etsy. Mm -hmm. Have your own domain and actually, you yeah. know, there's no need for commissions and things of that sort. Yeah, exactly. You kind of own your customer base you can contact them directly. You can try to get them in your mailing list. Just you are not dependent on a third party. And then the fees are lower as well. <laughs> when you were doing these in-person interactions at local markets or Christmas markets, were there something, a process that you did that really engaged with people who visited you and got them interested to actually follow you on social media and check back in your online store as well? Yeah, I tried to. I don't think it was really very successful. <laughs> I don't know if it's the the character of, of the people in this country or, or what, but they kind of, they like to browse and maybe not engage into a, a conversation all the time with with uh, with you. So I did try to engage into conversations, talk about, about the work, but yeah, I guess I'm not very good into plugging my mailing list and plugging my social media directly face to face. It's tough. Sometimes it's intimidating. You don't want to cross the boundaries too much. Selling, uh, marketing is a, is a skill. And it, it doesn't come natural for a lot of makers. So I guess let's talk about the place that you did find growth and that you did find um, it was a great base for you, which is Instagram. Mm. So you have almost like this 10,000 follower growth within 2020. What do you think that you did that really allowed you to find that success during that time on Instagram? Yeah, two things. Uh, being consistent, posting I think I started posting every other day and then I moved to daily, uh, like mid, mid, midway through the year. Uh, I started doing ads as well. I find that some makers, some people are just, uh, they focus too, too much on organic growth and kind of dismiss ads like something that uh, doesn't feel genuine or I don't know. But I really like it as a growth strategy. You can target, you can do the ads uh, quite targeted to the, to the people that are your potential customers. So instead of just, because with organic growth, I find that I might get people from everywhere in the world. 
and then it's very difficult for people uh, in countries outside of the UK to convert those people into customers. It's quite difficult because obviously shipping is expensive and, and, and all that. So with ads, I can target to UK. Uh, I usually target to female in, into an age range with a few interests that align with, with what I make. Uh, and I just find it a good way, relatively cheap, to just be, continue filling the top of your funnel. Yeah, and one of your posts reached me all the way in Canada, which yeah. led me into your studio. And I think what you said is really great is that when you post organically, you can see what people like. That yeah. kind of teaches you how to target, how to segment, and you can elevate the posts with some ad dollars. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, photography is very important. The product in itself is very important as well. Obviously, colors are usually a bit more attractive and grabs people's attention. If there are lots of pieces in a picture, that grabs people's attention as well. So, yeah, photography is important. Uh, trying different kinds of compositions and lifestyle photography, that's important. See, Yeah, and just look at the numbers, see what works better. Um, but yeah, I, I continue doing ads. I always have an ad running and then, yeah, I like it. I like that way of, of um, building an audience. Has there been different strategies where you elevate posts more than others or have you tested in different ways where you understand this is like an A-B test and certain little changes of different posts work differently? Not as sophisticated as that. I don't do A-B testing. <laughs> I just, you know, from Instagram, I just promote a post. So I usually think about, uh, I do usually a carousel with several pictures trying to showcase as many of my pieces as possible. Uh, with pictures uh, showing a lot of pieces because I know those perform bet better. And then I promote that, that post uh, for the longest possible duration, so 30 days nonstop, and then renew. Um, so after a few months, maybe I, I create another post and do the same. I promote it nonstop for a few months. I really like it. I think, to your point, it's not about one-shot success or one thing that goes super viral. It's about staying consistent and dedicating time and effort because it did take you a whole year to reach oh, yeah. that amount of growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've never gone viral. It's all a mix of organic and then uh, the ads. Well, I'm very excited to learn more, Raquel. I'm chatting with Raquel Acosta, the ceramics maker and owner of Glaze Me Pretty, a pottery studio based in Carshalton, UK. So... About your website, you previously had another site and then you switched over to Shopify. What have you done to your site that you feel like has really enhanced the purchasing process and just making it easier for customers? Just the fact of changing platform, it was a massive improvement. I started with WordPress, uh, which obviously the fun functionality that you get out of the box is just minimum functionality and then everything needs to be a plugin. When I installed Shopify, I was just blown away by the amount of things that you get out of the box. <laughs> and uh, the speed as well, out of the box, the, I think the, the, the websites are really fast. So I think that in itself improves the user experience massively. I was having trouble with uh, speed uh, with, my previous, with, with the previous platform. So that, that was a massive bonus. Um, I think it works really well on mobile. The experience of browsing uh, in mobile was much better than what I had before. So that, again, I think has helped quite a lot. And then I have a few apps that I've installed to extend the functionality. 
have locksmith because I have a, a password protected area where I put all my uh, seconds. Of, those are pieces with small flaws that I sell at a big discount. So, and those are only for my mainly list subscribers. So I send them the password on, a, on every newsletter. So Locksmith allows me to password protect uh, products. I install back in stock uh, alerts as well. Mm -hmm. So people, if there's something that sells out, they can sign up um, for an email notification when it comes back in stock. Uh, another one is product options because I sell travel caps and you can choose the lead color. But out of the box with Shopify, you need to put the, the stock for every combination, which that doesn't work for me because I have unlimited number of uh, leads. A, I have a, a defined number of cups, but then an infinite amount of leads. So with product options, I can do that. And then promo layer, which is the pop-ups where I promote my mailing list. It sounds like you were really able to customize the site to your liking. Yeah, I'm mindful about not bloating it with apps because I want it to be like fast. And I know sometimes installing apps for the sake of it can slow down uh, sites. So yeah, I try to be lean and just only install things that are, I think are essential and are going to improve the user experience. You mentioned about the email list and how your subscribers get access to your seconds. So tell me more about your email marketing and what else are you doing in this channel? I think I have like a personal relation with marketing. As a customer, I don't like to be bombarded with daily marketing emails or even weekly. So I'm just very conscious about that. I think uh, in Europe and the UK, people are not as used to constant marketing as with uh, in other countries like the US. So I send a monthly newsletter just once a month, uh, usually coinciding with my shop update. So when I put the new products that I've been making that month on the shop. So I send a heads up to everybody. I send a new password for the password protected area. Uh, and just any news, things that if I feature on the press or any anything that I'm, that I'm, that I'm working on. Um, and then I have two lead ma magnets. I have a 10% discount when they join the newsletter and then access to the, the member sales, is what I call it, the, the sale sales area. And I find like when you talk to your customer base in a selected period and they happen to engage more versus if you try to talk them more frequently because there's actually something exciting happening. There's new things, there's new merchandise, and also there's a sale. So it's just more engaging. Exactly. I try to only reach out if I have something to show, something new, something something to share, not just for the sake of, hey, remember that I have these products. I just... I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess it feels a bit pushy to me, again, because selling doesn't come naturally to me. <laughs> so, Well, I guess what it comes naturally to you is analyzing numbers. Yeah. And as a data scientist, what are some interesting key numbers or facts that you've learned from the store that might have been a good feedback point or things that you've learned that helps you to make more of certain product or things like that? Yeah, uh, looking at what glazes sell more, that's that's helpful. Keeping an eye on that, because obviously if, if, if a glaze uh, is not performing well, I might as well just uh, get rid of it and just work on a new one. Same with the types of products. I keep an eye on, on monthly numbers, and then it informs the, the, the pieces that I'm making on the following month. So my best sellers, I always try to make them consistently every month. 
I really like in the main admin page in Shopify that you get insights, a little nuggets of information that I find that really helpful. Has there been any really interesting insights that stood out to you? I guess I knew this, but uh, the confirmation that all my referrals are coming from Instagram, which it feels a bit scary, to be honest. I'm trying to diversify a bit by doing PR outreach. Because it feels scary that all my sales are coming from Instagram. <laughs> I think that was helpful to see. The percentage of card abandonment recovery, that was all, that's, I think, was really helpful insight. And those are pretty key information for you to, one, expand your marketing efforts and also learn about what made someone drop off and things like that. So very important stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Logistics is a big part of a ceramics company. Tell us a bit of your process for shipping and fulfillment. I try to have things quite streamlined because obviously as a maker, I'm making the product and then wearing all the hats in the business. So I usually work in monthly cycles, making the the first three weeks of the month and then uh, uploading pieces to the website and then doing the, the big shipping drop in the last week of the month. My Shopify shop is integrated with my uh, shipping solution. I, I use Royal Mail, so all the orders go directly to Royal Mail where I can just um, add the weight of the parcel and print the labels directly. So that's streamlined. Uh, having a label printer is super helpful. I don't have to input any data manually. I have uh, parcel collections coming three, three days a week, so that makes things quite easy as well. I don't have to travel to the post office with a massive bag of parcels. I just get them collected from home. Because I'm, I'm also shipping not only after doing the shop update, but um, continuously through the month. So I try to only uh, wrap orders three days a week. So it's not too disruptive with the making process. So Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I pack orders in the morning, then get them collected, collected in the afternoon. I like that you found a really good rhythm with the process. I wanted to ask about your process of moving from still working full-time, doing pottery part-time, and then transitioning into an artist full-time and being able to make a living. Yeah, it was difficult at the beginning because uh, I had a a 40-hour-a-week full-time job and then I had to commute over an hour each way back and forth to London. So that was really challenging, finding the time to dedicate to pottery. I was <laughs> going to, to, to the studio in the evenings and, and weekends nonstop. So really challenging. So I decided at some point in 2019, summer 2019, to quit that job and find another job closer to my home so the commute would be much shorter and then with less working hours. So that was a big help in finding more time to, to improve my skills and, and the making. And then on that job, gradually, I started dropping days a week. As sales were uh, increasing and there was more demand, I was gradually reducing days. So uh, from five days a week, I moved to four days a week, then three. And then last year in April 2021, I decided to just quit and do pottery full time. 
It's very exciting. And I think there's a theme that rings true in all aspects of your business is the fact that you stayed consistent. And it's not something, you know, happens overnight or it happens in an instant. It's something that you dedicate a lot of time and effort to. Yeah, definitely. And I saw a lot of people going viral in 2020, <laughs> so you make it. So it can happen, but I think it's uh, the exception to rule. I think most of the people find that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a journey. It takes a few years to get there. And then on top of that, with pottery, there's no way around. You can't shortcut the, uh, the skills. So it takes a few years to get good enough to produce uh, good quality work. So there are no shortcuts there. <laughs> you need at least, I think, well three to four years to get good at it. Mm-hmm. Another point about having something go viral, it is just eyes on a post. It, it does not mean you get a huge customer base. So even if you have a huge post that is massively popular, it doesn't mean anyone's going to stick around and actually make a purchase. No, exactly. It might translate in a spike of sales a uh, short time, but then, yeah, those customers, I don't think they stick around your post might get exposed to people that wouldn't normally follow you or be interested in your work. Unless you go viral like every every certain time, then then, then what do you do then? You need to be resilient and have a, and a strategy for consistent growth like, and not relying on just randomly going viral once every while. I kind of want to also dig into the concept of the stereotype of artists and making a living doesn't really go hand in hand. How do you tackle that stereotype of like, oh, it's it's hard to be a full-time artist where it's like, it's difficult to make a living as an artist? It's definitely hard. So, I mean, because I'm doing mostly a, a shop updates and that's definitely a grind. <laughs> like, it's relentless. I'm managing everything from the making to the shipping to, yeah, website, absolutely everything. So it's not easy, but uh, I think it's a myth that you have to to struggle. Obviously... I mean, I chose to sell direct to a customer. I think I would find it really difficult to make a living if I was only wholesaling, so selling to, to, to shops with the high cost of living in London. So I would find that really challenging. So I chose to go direct. And obviously that's, I guess, more challenging in the sense that you have to build your own audience. And that is, is difficult, obviously. But you can 100% make a, a good living and match like a, a 9 to 5 salary. So obviously you don't get rich. <laughs> that's, that's very difficult. But yeah, I think you can have a, a decent salary. Also, you're not just an artist. You're also a business owner. So there's these two sides of running a business while selling your art. I don't know if it's 50-50, but I guess it should be 50-50, the making and then the marketing and, and promoting your work, because what's the point of making if you can't sell it, if you don't have an, an audience to sell it to? So yeah, you should spend time in marketing. So what's next for Glaze Me Pretty and what are some news that you can share with us? This year, I've been trying to challenge myself quite a lot by making a new product or a new glaze every month. So I've been doing that up to last month with things got a bit busy because I did an open two weekends of uh, open studios in my in my uh, in my studio where people could come and visit. So things got a bit hectic and I stopped this little challenge that I had set myself. But yeah, I've launched a lot of new products uh, this year. 
uh, candlesticks are new from this year, spoon dress, butter dishes, which are doing really well. I've launched three new glazes so far. So I just, yeah, I'd like to carry on and experiment with new products uh, for the rest of the year and new glazes. I think it's important to, because... I guess I make quite a, a big deal of, of glazing. Even my name is Glaze Me Pretty. So I th- <laughs> so it's quite important for me to continue evolving and, and making new colors, new glazes. So yeah, just continue with that. But I don't have anything big or huge project coming. It's just continuing, experimenting, trying new things, engaging with, with my audience on Instagram, uh, trying to continue growing, I guess. Give more pieces for your fans to collect and add to their cabinets. Hopefully. (laughs) Yes, amazing. Well, thanks for joining me today, Raquel. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great. Well, that was Raquel Acosta, ceramics artist and owner of Glaze Me Pretty. I'm Shwang Esther Shan, and I'll see you next time on Shopify on Location.